All right, everybody. Please open your Bibles to the book of Numbers. We are in Numbers chapter 17. We've come as far as Numbers chapter 17. Last we left off as you're turning there, number 17, chapter 17 of Numbers. Uh, we were on a journey and are on a journey with the Lord Jesus and God, our Father. And we see that once again, the people began to murmur. I think it was their fifth or sixth time at this point. They were complaining uh, and they were complaining against Moses. And so really chapter 17 obviously continues to build in the context of 16. A lot of times people come to chapter 17 and they, they struggle with understanding, well, what's with the you know, Aaron's rod and the budding and the whole thing like that. What, what, you know, what, where's that coming from, you know? But think back with me in context. It makes perfect sense. What was the accusation by the sons or Korah, if I say Korah and remember the two other guys with him there, you know, um, what was the big accusation by Dathan, Ibram, and Korah? They turned around and said to Moses, Moses, you take it upon yourself more uh, authority than you have been really given by God. I mean, ultimately, I'm paraphrasing, but that's really what they were attacking Moses. Not only this Korah, but 250 of his leaders. I mean, two, 250 of the people that would have been really at the top of a church of two to three million that way. So, I mean, this is, this is heavy. That was the context. And so, all of a sudden, we see that in verse 49, 14,700 were plagued in addition to the 250 for their rebellion. This was a rebellion. That's what it was. This was a rebellion. And so God had judged that rebellion. But now what we're going to see is in chapter 17 is God is going to address the rebellion specifically by saying, I'll show you who I've given authority. I'll show you who I've called. I'm going to make this very clear. No longer do I want to hear you murmur or complain upon Moses or upon Aaron or the priesthood. Because remember, chapters 16 through 19 are specifically targeted to the priesthood. That's the context. So God is now coming back and he's, he's more or less addressing this rebellion from an exhortation perspective. And he's doing it for the people so that all could see. He's going to basically tell them, you take these, these 12 rods, all of you from each tribe, so the 12 tribes, and he's going to say, Aaron, you, you take the rod for the tribe of Levi. He says, you're going to put all these rods out. He says, and then what I'm going to do is I'm going to use this as a sign. And I want you to see this sign. And based on this sign, you're going to understand exactly what I'm doing through Aaron and how I've established the priesthood. God himself has established that priesthood. Not Aaron, not another man, but it was God. And he's going to prove this to the people. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about tonight about how I think many of us believe that if everybody had proof, they would, they would believe, right? They would accept. If, if everybody felt like they had enough information, enough proof regarding the resurrection as an example of Jesus Christ, would everybody believe? It's a fair question I'm asking you, right? Would everybody believe if I went to them and said, what, what would it take from a proof perspective for you to believe. And let's say they all came up with something different and we could produce that. Would they all believe? Well, no. That's, that's, I mean, certainly circumstantially, that's what we've seen throughout scripture. Because I would suggest to you that it's not the burden of proof that needs bared out. God has done that and he's going to do that tonight. Specifically with us, he's going to show us that Aaron's rod, he's, he's going to show these 
Four signs on that one rod. Four signs with one miracle. One miracle with four signs, if I can say it that way, that's going to come from this one rod. He's going to give proof enough to all the people to be able to say, oh, now we get it. Now we see. But shortly thereafter, in chapter 18 and even on, we're going to see a complaining again. We're going to see a murmuring again. So the question is, is the proof point enough? And I would suggest to you that it's not, that it always has to do with the matter of the heart. And I think that coincides with Jesus's parable that he gave us when he described what it was like. You and I, we're farmers, we're ministers that way, right? Our job is to take the seed. And what do we do? We scatter the seed. We scatter to the left, we scatter to the right, we scatter abroad, we scatter the seed that way. Do you and I control exactly how that seed germinates? No, we do not. Our responsibility is to faithfully scatter that seed. It's to God that brings the increase. Amen? That's what we are. We're farmers that way. We just scatter the seed. You know, Paul even said, well, Apollos, you know, maybe waters. Paul, you know, plants. But to God, the increase. To God, the increase. I think we understand that in the context here, it'll make sense why God is going this extra length. He's showing them. He's even proving in it. And he's saying, look, it's not. Because don't you think God knows he's sovereign? He obviously knew what was going to happen. He's doing it for the people. Because he wants them to see their own heart and more importantly, their own response. That even when he shows them something, even when he proves something to them, there's still a response or a responsibility of the believer or even the unbeliever to turn around and make a decision based on that, to do something with it. And I think that's for us here tonight. As New Covenant believers, we too have a responsibility in this. So let's begin here in, in, in verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel, and get from them a rod from each of their father's house. All their leaders according to their father's houses. Twelve rods. Write each man's name on his rod. Now, in your footnotes of your Bible, if you have room, you can write rods are a symbol of responsibility or authority throughout the scripture. That's, that's what we see here. It's, it's something that has to do with uh, correction, sometimes reproof. It has something to do with, believe it or not, comfort. Okay, and, and we're going to take a moment just to kind of look at this because Jesus himself is also referred to as a rod. Look in Isaiah, right? Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. Turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. And you look here, I mean, this is also a very prophetic chapter, specifically dealing with the Davidic covenant. I mean, obviously, uh, foretelling how the rod from the stem of Jesse, who was Jesse? David's father. David's father, right? Speaking, obviously giving us a picture of a fulfillment that would be through Jesus Christ, the one that would forever reign on the throne, Jesus. But it was also promised that in the line of David that there would be one from the seed of David, which is why we spend time going through our genealogies in the book of Matthew and the book of Luke. 
Because as we back into those genealogies, we can see that Jesus fulfilled this prophetic promise, that he would come from the line of David, the line of Judah that way, right? So let's look here. It says in verse 1 of chapter 11, it says, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse. A branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. And then we get really seven or six spirits here. If you look at it, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge, and of the fear of the Lord. Okay? So we get a little bit more of the character attributes of Christ. We see more of, of what this rod, this, you know, Jesus referencing that way, okay? So clearly we see that as a, as a reference. Turn in your Bibles to Micah chapter 6, verse 9, please. Micah chapter 6, verse 9. If you get to Nahum, you've gone too far. And if you get to Jonah, keep going. Micah chapter 6, verse 9. You see, God's pleading with Israel through the prophet Micah here in this section that we happen to be reading. And he's going to describe what the punishment will be for Israel. But as he goes through that, he, he's going to speak to the people and he's going to say, hear the rod is what he's going to say. Okay. Look at verse nine. The Lord's voice cries out to the city. Wisdom shall see your name. Hear the rod who has appointed it. Right? So what is he saying there? He's saying, fear God. Fear God. That, that's really what that's saying in that context. But again, we see this idea of a rod here, okay? What about Psalm? Now, what Psalm am I thinking about? I mean, there's a lot of them we can go to, but, but specifically, when I think of a rod that would comfort me, that I would be able to lie down, what, a rod that understanding correction is good for me, what, what Psalm am I thinking about? Psalm 23. Psalm 23, right? Look in your Bibles at Psalm 23. Now, isn't this fitting that once again, as I, I sort of, as we began in Genesis, as I was going through and then Exodus and we, we were introduced to Moses, and I said, it's so interesting that when God calls a man, Moses in particular, when God calls a man, he doesn't necessarily add, yes, he equips that man where God, you know, leads a man, he equips a man that way. But it's interesting. He doesn't give him something that he didn't already have. What I mean by that, on his person, on his faculty. Moses was what? He was a shepherd. His rod. Right? His father was a Midianite priest. And he would go out and for 40 years as he was, you know, had fleed Egypt that way after the murder of an Egyptian man for attacking a, you know, a Jewish man that way, a Hebrew, he turned around and he was shepherding a flock. And he had this rod, this staff. David, you know, every shepherd that's got, think about what this staff is, this rod, this authority, this responsibility. This is, this is what it was. they were leading this flock, this sheep. Well, look at, look at uh, Psalm 23 in particular. Look at right around verse 4, Right? You can go on and, you, I mean, we could really read through the whole thing. I mean, it's, to me, it's, I don't know. I, I, when I look through this and I, and I think about how the Lord loves me, 
You know, how the Lord begins to correct me. How the Lord shows his faithfulness to me. You know, sometimes I know many of us, when, when we're corrected, we don't like it. We, we don't like that feeling of correction. We, but, but really, correction ought to be uh, uh, comfort, as we see from David. It, it ought to be comfort. It ought to be something where we don't run from. We, we realize for whom the Lord loves, he corrects, as the Bible says. So look here in Psalm 23, verse 4. To me, this is speaking of a time where David is walking clearly different paths, but he's walking on a path of righteousness. He knows that even when he walks through this valley of the shadow of death, he says, I will fear no evil. That's a strong statement. He says, I will fear no evil. When I'm going through a path, a place I've never been, I've never traveled, I, this is uncharted territory. He says, I will not fear evil. But there's a reason he's not going to fear evil. For you are with me. Who's with him? God. Jesus is with him. And he says something very important here. And he ties it back together. And I think it's important for our text here this evening. He says, your rod and your staff. You see, those are the things he points back to. The authority authority and or the responsibility. The rod can do two things. One, it's a sign or a, you know, a a sign of authority that way or responsibility. One who bears that rod, the sheep look to and they expect to be led, fed, and protected. And that's what an under-shepherd does. That's what a pastor does, doesn't he? He leads, he feeds, and he protects That's what an under-shepherd does according to the word of God. But what else does this staff do? Because Jesus is our shepherd, isn't he? Jesus is our high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek, right? He says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Has a rod ever comforted you? I mean, most of us think of a switch on a branch, right? Back in the day, you'd grab the switch off the branch, and mom and dad were coming for you, right? You know, around everybody else, oh, you know, little Johnny, little Susie, such good. You know, you get home, you get over here, you know, I'm going to get the switch, you know, the whole thing. Some of you are looking at me like, that never happened in my house. I, I love my Italian mother, you know, boy, it was never a question. Your rod and your staff. I, I know something about this. It comforts me. I never had a question of whether I was doing something right or wrong. I always knew where I stood. You know, there was no question about that. I didn't have any problems going, you know, is this gray? I'm not sure. No, no, and my bottom to boot could bear witness. You know, I knew exactly where I stood in all things. And I'll tell you what, don't we say this as parents today? When we're going through that, we say, we'll never, ever do that to our kids, right? We all probably said it. I said it. I will never discipline my children in any way because I just want them to be happy-go-lucky and free. You know, oh, woe is me, right? We, we've said that, right? And then what happens? We have children, and they are lovely gifts from God, a heritage unto the Lord, and they come out. And everything's good for the first year or so, two and three and four. And then all of a sudden, they give you that look where something switches. And they begin to think they're the parent and they're the authoritarian. And they're going to tell you how to do it. Now, sometimes, even when it comes to the stove, I can remember when I was a kid, um, you know, we had an electric stove back then, and I remember, uh, you know, the plastic uh, cookware. Mom would let me play on the stove, you know. It's a lot different than today. Today, we have all these little play kitchens. But but back then, you know, my 
play kitchen was the stove. And I, well, you know, she's working all day. She's coming in. She's trying. Okay, so what do I do? Well, I want to bake with mom. She's putting something in there. So what do I do? I open the oven. I'm about to stick my hand in a 350, 400 degree oven, and I'm going to touch, okay, the, the grate with my plastic thing. That woman, I, I, she could have been, I don't know how, she could have been like a, she took the shoe. And I'll tell you what, it was like a boomerang, man. Because I somehow think it came back to her. I don't know. I can't swear to it. But somehow that, she, it was back in her hand. And I was like, I heard like Clint, Clint Eastwood in the background, like, you know, the whole thing. But man, it, it, it literally cracked me. And I was like, whoa. And I remember, I, maybe I was six, seven. And I remember going, what are you doing? And, and like, I was the one, correct? Like, what are you thinking? And she looked at me and she goes, what are you thinking? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm cooking. And she's like, do you not? 400 degrees. From that day forward, I never wanted to put my hand in an oven or touch something hot like that because I think Jesus, my mom was there to correct me and to help me and to, and to protect me. And you know what? My heavenly father is the same way. There are times and situations where I pray, Lord, please, God, open this door. God, help me with this. Lord, maybe it's this, that, and the other thing. And sometimes the answer is no. And initially, I might be upset by that. I might be, like I looked at mom, what are you doing? God, I mean, clearly, Lord, why wouldn't you want this person to come to know you? Or why wouldn't you want to do this? We could rent out a whole, you know, the, the, the Hershey Center. Why can't we, or the Giant Center. We could have, you know, a Christian concert. We had all these people that come to Christ. We'll, you know, it'll be great. And God may say, no, not right now. But Lord, don't you love the people? Foolishness. But there's a reason sometimes. God knows. And when I began to look at this hand, as it says in the psalm, you correct me. You comfort me with that. You see, wasn't that the problem with Moses? God had given him authority. Aaron as well. But they weren't trusting the God-given authority in the man. They were looking at the man and all of his maybe failings or shortcomings. Moses did struggle with anger, didn't he? He was a meek man, but he struggled with anger. We're going to read more about that when we get to, to chapter 20, as a matter of fact. That shortcoming, hitting the rock twice, right? Striking the rock twice that way. But they weren't just rebelling against Moses or they weren't rebelling against Aaron. Who were they rebelling against? God. Why did God bring us out of Egypt where we were in slavery and the flesh pots and everything else? You see, memory, when you look back, it's always selective. It's always selective. We always remember it better than it was or different than it was. Not always better, but different than it was, I should say. And this is where we find ourselves. We can turn back to number 17. This is where we find, when we hear this rod, for there shall be one rod for the head of each father's house. This is what God is establishing because we used his word to interpret that and understand exactly how, what he uses a rod for. for. For authority, for correction, for comfort. Verse four, then you shall place them well, let me back up to verse 3. And you shall write Aaron's name on the rod of Levi, right? Because he was of that, that family. For there shall be one rod for the head of each father's house. Then you shall place them in the tabernacle of meeting before the testimony where I meet with you. 
And it shall be that rod of the man whom I choose will blossom. Thus I will rid myself. Who's myself? God of the complaints of the children of Israel, which they make against you. You see, it all goes back again to the rebellion, and God is addressing that, the rebellion of Korah. The plague with 14,700, you would think that would have been enough for people to pay attention. But for some reason, God perfectly knows that he's going to create an action sermon here. And, and I'm not so sure this action sermon isn't here for you and I tonight. That maybe one of us, somewhere in our lives, either something we're not submitting, or, or maybe there's an opportunity where we are not sure, should we be exercising that rod that God has given us as, as a parent, maybe a mother or a father, or, or something to help guide your son or your daughter. And maybe you're thinking, well, but, but I don't know. I don't want to overstep, you know. I, I don't know. You bring that to the Lord. But, but it's interesting to me that, that I, I still see this too, you know, how many, 3,500 years later, nobody likes the A word, authority. To this day, people want to challenge authority. It's not something natural for a man to want to submit and surrender that way, even to God, even to God. There's something in the flesh that wants to battle and wage war against that submission. As though our opinion actually matters in the light of God's word or commandments and statutes. That's, that's actually pride. Really, when you boil it, it's pride to think that, that we somehow can understand things that God can and therefore our opinions matter at that level. Now, certainly God is very interested in our ideas and thoughts, he just doesn't need us to micromanage him. Amen? So Moses spoke to the children of Israel, and each of their leaders gave him a rod, a piece for each leader according to their father's house, 12 rods. And the rod of Aaron was among the rods. So they're obedient. Um, but what this is going to deal with is, like I said, the core rebellion that, that we're going to find out once and for all who God has appointed. And he's going to make sure this is available to all the people that everyone can see this so that they understand there shouldn't be a question of submitting to authority. Um, but as I said earlier in my introduction, as I was opening to, will it be enough? Even with all the evidence, will it be enough? Maybe there's someone here tonight that's been struggling with authority. Maybe there's someone here tonight, you know, a, a husband, a wife. I, I don't know. And maybe this has been a problem in, in, in your life where you've said, Lord, I want, I want this submission to you, Jesus. I want to submit to you, God. But I, but I don't know how to do it. I try. But, but it seems like every, every moment after I try, I, I find myself like the like Israel, going right back to Egypt, you know, going back to the same old pattern and ways because submission is so foreign to me. Uh, friends, cry out to God and ask him for help because it's only through Jesus that you can do that. It's, it's not on your flesh. It's through that new spirit that you got when you were born again that allows you to do this. It's sanctification. It's sanctification. So, in verse 7, it says, And Moses placed the rods before the Lord in the tabernacle of witness. Now, again, if I could draw your attention to the New Testament for a minute, 
and I, I used the example of you know, the resurrection of Jesus earlier. Think about this for a minute. Did Jesus not provide many proofs of his resurrection? Not only through the gospels, but I think of Luke chapter 24. What about the road to Emmaus? Did he not appear to two disciples and began to open the scriptures and show them the word? What about Acts chapter one and two in the day of Pentecost? Wait for the promise, the comfort of the one, the Holy Spirit. What about John chapter 20, verse 24, when he appeared to Thomas? And Thomas turned around and said, Lord, I don't know. And he said, Thomas, touch. Do you need to touch? Do you, do you need to do that, Thomas? Poor guy got a complex of doubting Thomas on his name. I mean, clearly, if you really look at him and you study him scripturally, he, he actually was, he doesn't fit the name. Other than that moment with Christ where he did doubt and he, you know, before that, there, if you go back and read the account, he was the one when, you know, Lazarus and, they, and Jesus says, well, we're not going to go right now because there was some trouble there. He says, let's go. If we die, we die. But people don't talk about that account of Thomas and his character, right? They, they think of the last thing that happened to him. Well, what about 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 6? Paul tells us through revelation of Jesus Christ that what happened? That he appeared, Jesus appeared to over 500 people. That there would be no contestation or doubt. And yet God is going through great lengths. Do you not think God knows this? Do you not think that God knows, you know, the outcome, understanding free will? But do you not think that God knows that they're going to look upon this and go, yeah, so what? So why is God going through all the trouble? Because those that have a heart and a spirit willing to receive and see what the spirit has to say, for those, they will believe. And it's never in vain. It's never a waste of time. And that's the calling of a minister, the calling of a priest, all of you, me. If we walked out of here and said, well, whoa, you know, the world, they've heard enough about Jesus. Obviously, they're not believing. They don't believe. They're not going to believe. If you have that kind of mindset, you're not going to reach somebody with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you go in there expecting? Do you go in there intentional? Thinking, Lord, there's been a lot of proof points, but, but Lord, this seed, this seed that you've sanctified that is holy and different, Lord, this, this seed, it is so precious because when put in fertile ground, God, it can grow 30, 60, and 100 fold producing fruit. Do you believe that? Do, do you believe that? Or, or has it become common? Has it become a common seed? Is it just a rod like these other 12 rods that are gathered and they don't expect anything to happen with this rod? And even when it does happen, they just dismiss it as, well, it's great that he did that, but what's that mean to me? Now it came on the to pass on the next day that Moses went into the tabernacle of witness and behold, the rod of Aaron of the house of Levi had sprouted and put forth. I want you to count these with me. First of all, it said it sprouted. That's the first thing. The second thing, buds. It produced blossoms and it yielded ripe almonds. Four different things, right? Four signs from one miracle. One miracle, but with four signs in it. 
Just think about that for a minute. This wasn't like one thing. He had it do four different things that they would see and believe. Have you ever seen uh, a rod do this in your presence? I, I haven't. If you saw a rod do that, what would you do? Get that thing away from me, man. You know, you'd, you'd move, you're, whoa, right? Well, God settled it. And he did it in a dramatic way. This is incredibly dramatic, the way he did this. Again, one miracle, four signs. Very dramatic, the way he did this. He wanted there to be no doubt. He didn't want the people to complain anymore. He didn't want them to turn around and go back and keep fighting and struggling. and ch- Because as they, as they keep looking back, they're never going to look forward to what God has for them and their children as they enter the promised land. And it is the same for us. If we look back to our old lives before Christ and we're constantly being identified, you know, our environment shapes us, psychologically this and that, and we start putting all these other things in, instead of believing what Jesus said, you are a new creation. The old things have passed away. All things are made new. Your God's not grammatically challenged. He said that. It's a promise. It's a guarantee. He says he separated the sin as far as the east is from the west. He doesn't see it. If he doesn't see it, why are you looking back at it? Why do you keep dwelling on it? Why don't you let it go? What are you holding on to? It's a distraction. It's a distraction. We got to let it go. It's time. Lay it down. Lay it down at the feet of Christ. It's time. Then Moses brought out all the rods from before the Lord to all the children of Israel. And they looked and each man took his rod. And the Lord said to Moses, bring Aaron's rod back before the testimony to be kept as a sign. Circle that in your Bibles. That's a significant point. When God uses a sign and he says, bring it back, he, he gave us other, another sign. And he said it had to do with something. The communion table. He said, this do in remembrance of me. It was a sign. He tells us, what, what is the sign here? He wants them to remember. This isn't the first one, is it? He also made another one. Remember when he had them form that out of the, the gold and he had them bring that forward so that they wouldn't forget that plaque that they, that they made and brought in, he's doing it again. When they cross over the Jordan, what are they going to do? They're going to set stones and build them on top of each other as what? A sign. He says, it's a sign against who? The rebels. That you may put their complaints away from me, lest they die. You see, God looks at the character of a man. You can look at 1 Timothy 3. You can look at Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. God looks at the character of the man. What do I mean by that? You can say a lot of different things about who you are and the way you live. You can play Christian. You can play church. You can do all these things in the privacy of your own home. You know who you are. You know what you believe. You know what you do. You're not fooling God. You're not fooling anyone. God sees it all. We don't fool anyone. Anyone, specifically God. We don't. Is there a rebellion in your heart? Is there some area of your heart that's still rebelling? Give it to Christ. Give it to God. Let it go. Lay it down. 
It's to be a reminder for us. Let it be a reminder to us tonight. Let us look back at this sign and remind, God, if there's any rebellion in my heart, Jesus, take it from me now. Take it from me now, Lord. Thus did Moses, just as the Lord had commanded him, so he did. So the children of Israel spoke to Moses, saying, Surely we die. We perish. We all perish. Why would they say that? What happened? Something in here changed. There was a conviction. There was a conviction of heart. But I want you to understand the difference between a conviction. They knew it was wrong to rebel. They knew it was wrong to rebel, to take sides with Kor. They knew that was wrong. And they were sorry. But sorry isn't the same thing as repenting. It's not the same thing of a change or a turn of heart. We can be sorry and continue, but that's not the same thing as a a heart transformation. You need open heart surgery, and that's what happens when you're born again. You get open heart surgery. He comes in, and he takes that heart of stone, and he puts a new heart in there. He circumcises that old heart. He takes out the trash, the, the wickedness, the evil, the, you know, and he gets rid of it. And he puts in a heart that's like his. That's why we can have unity with brothers and sisters in Christ, because we have the same heart. We have the same spirit. It's not foreign to us. The Jews are waiting for that new heart. Jeremiah, what, 31, 31 promises they're going to get that new heart, doesn't it? God's not done with the children of Israel. They're going to get that new heart. They're waiting. It says, surely, we all utterly die. But it shows, again, that being sorry doesn't change hearts. You know, people say, well, I'm sorry. You know, I I try to be a good person. That's not what the Bible asked. It didn't say, are you good or are you not good? Do you believe in Jesus? Have you professed his name? Are you willing to make him or allow him to be your Lord and Savior? As we go into chapter 18 here, we're now going to look at the specific duties of the priest of the Levites. Again, it's building on this. And again, a lot of, you know, sort of these isolated incidents, but they're all building and they all have the priesthood and commonality here. Then the Lord said to Aaron, you and your sons and your father's house with you shall bear, circle that please, the iniquity related to the sanctuary and you and your sons shall bear, again, circle that again, the iniquity associated with the priesthood. What's he talking about? You can't have accountability without responsibility. When you see the bear there, look, at it's twice. You bear the iniquity and you bear the iniquity. He's saying of what? Associated with the priesthood and what? Related to the sanctuary. All authority is given by God. Romans chapter 13, 4. He says it in regards to government. We just read it this Sunday. And he talked about how all authority, even, even politicians or people you look at and go, Clearly, they're not born-again believers, not that we can judge the heart, but clearly the fruit doesn't line up. But do we not think that all authority was given by God to them, much like it was Nebuchadnezzar or Cyrus to Nehemiah, right, or Persia for what ended up happening for Israel, right, which is modern-day Iran? Think about that for a minute. 
that Iran, Persia, the ones that, that basically reestablished or helped reestablish not only the wall, but Jerusalem, were the very men today that try to deny their existence. You can't deny the history, and they know it. They know it. So he, he's saying, you know, that it's this, this responsibility and accountability, they go together. You can't be an under-shepherd. You can't be a pastor. You can't, you can't be in ministry and, and not have a calling. If you step out and you're going by your strength, nothing will come of it. Nothing will come of it. But when God is leading you and he's guiding you, he's going to anoint your steps and he's going to do the work. All he asks you to do is be faithful in what he's shown you. And that's the same thing with the ministry of your home. Whatever he's shown you for your own home, be faithful in that. But it comes with responsibility, doesn't it? Much is given, much is required. Required. Also bring with your brethren of the tribe of Levi, the tribe of your father, that they may be joined with you and serve with you and your sons are with you before the tabernacle witness, right? We see here a specific calling. He's now saying that, that hey, the rest of the tribe of Levi, which he's already redeemed, if you remember in earlier chapters we read, he's saying this tribe is now dedicated unto the priesthood, not as priests necessarily, right? But they're to come along and support the priesthood. Remember, Gersh, you know, we read about the three of them. They're going to come in and the, who's going to be the one that, you know, works in the tabernacle? you know, putting the tent down, taking things away. Who's going to be the one that uh, carries the carts and all the outer tapestry and the, the roof and everything? Who's going to be the one that takes the implements, everything that was inside of it, the Ark of the Covenant and all of that? Everybody had a role and responsibility, but they weren't the priests. They weren't Aaron, but they had a responsibility, a specific calling, and it's no different today. Not all of you were called to be pastors in here. But you are all called to be ministers. And God has a specific calling for your lives in everything that you do. Children's ministry, leading children's ministry, leading sound, you know, teaching. All the things that God has for all of you. All of you have a calling, a specific calling on your life. And where he's called, he's equipped. God doesn't give a calling and not equip you for the calling. It's always spirit-driven. It's always spirit-led. Every single time in Scripture. You can't find one example, I challenge any one of you, one example through all of your Bible, all 66 books, where God calls a man or a prophet, a woman like that, a deaconess or whatever, and he doesn't equip that woman or that man for the calling he's given them. You won't find one place. You will find that he's equipped them and calling them, but sometimes they say, you know what? I want to do this. Saul, a great example. Saul decides that he wants to be a priest. In 1 Samuel, right? So what does he do? He turns around and Samuel was late coming. Remember that? He, Samuel was late coming right around, I think, 1 Samuel 9, somewhere in there. He's late coming. And what does Saul do? Saul says, you know what? Go get the animal. I'll do the sacrifice. The king is trying to take on the role of a priesthood. And what happens? Shortly thereafter, the next chapter, what happens? The spirit of God leaves Saul. And he's removed He's removed because he's no longer of use to God because there was no obedience. There was no surrender. There was no submission. This is important for us, right? The specific calling. We, we, we need to, God, what is the calling for our lives? Show us. Each and every one of you have one. Do you know what your calling is? Do you know what you're calling? Every one of you, do you know what God has specifically for you in your lives? 
Hmm. They shall attend, verse 3, to your needs and all the needs of the tabernacle, but they shall not come near the articles of the sanctuary and the altar, lest they die. They and you also. Hey, you're, you're, you're given accountability there, right? Aaron, remember, this is speaking Aaron. You're given accountability of that, Aaron. Be very careful because you're responsible. Think about pastors today. What does the Bible say? You're doubly judged, okay? That's not something to be going into ministry and taking lightly. They shall be joined with you and attend to the needs of the tabernacle of meeting for all the work of the tabernacle, but an outsider shall not come near you. And you shall attend to the duties of the sanctuary and the duties of the altar, that they may be no more wrath on the children of Israel. Isn't that God's heart? He doesn't want wrath poured out. When somebody looks and says, it's a different God of the Old Testament. See, he's a God of wrath. You look, look at this God. He, he's a God. All he wants to do is wipe out children, wipe out women, wipe out men. Look at how he wants to destroy everybody. Bring them to this passage. Is this the heart of your God? Is this the heart of the God you worship and serve? Because my God doesn't want to ever inflict wrath upon anyone. He's long-suffering. He's very long-suffering. But he's also not a respecter of persons. He's also a loving God. And for whom, the love, the love, for whom the Lord loves, he corrects. He corrects, right? Tongue twister there. <laughs> and said, there shall be no more wrath on the children of Israel. That's his heart. Verse five, behold, I myself have taken your brethren, the Levites from among the children of Israel, that they are a gift to you given by the Lord to do the work of the tabernacle meaning. He does that. When he equips a man and he calls him in, he surrounds that man with men that are able-bodied that can help because he can't do it alone. And doesn't he do the same thing in your homes? Right? Pastors of your homes. Men, I'm talking to you here. Pastors of your homes. Did he not give you a wonderful help me to come by your side? To help hold your hands up? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. You see... It's beautiful. It's, it's the way God designed it. That's, that's why the family's under attack today. That's why the family's under attack today by the enemy. Because he wants to break, you know, he wants to break it down. Because he can break it down and isolate and he can divide and conquer. It's, it's very deliberate what he's doing. Therefore, you and your sons with you shall attend to your priesthood for everything at the altar and behind the veil, and you shall serve. I give your priesthood to you as a gift for service. I like that. <laughs> Think about that. He says, I give this to you as a gift. I don't need you. He doesn't need me. He says, I give it as a gift for you to be able to serve me. In whatever capacity he's called you, in whatever specific calling you have, it's to bring God glory and honor. And I know sometimes maybe some of you, maybe someone here tonight's thinking, boy, my, my, my calling's insignificant. Maybe most people don't see my calling because my calling might be it, 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 back in, a, in the home where nobody else is around and nobody else sees it. And nobody, You know what? It is so precious in God's eyes. Your calling is so precious in his eyes. Because you're bringing him glory and honor. It is service. It is a gift. But the outsider who comes near shall be put to death. And the Lord spoke to Aaron, Here I myself have also given you charge 
of my heave offerings, right? Now, what was the heave offering? Do you remember when we talked about Leviticus chapter 7, right around verse 14? Do you remember what the heave offering was? It was part of what? It was a part of what offering? It was a part of the peace offering, right? This is part of the peace offering here, right? He's giving a provision for the family, for Aaron and his sons, for the wife and for everybody else, for them to have provisions. But at the same time, it's an opportunity to worship, in the peace offering, it's when God, the priest, right, come together. It's fellowship as well. It's fellowship. It's one of the offerings. It's not like the sin offering. It's not like the burnt offering, if you remember. The five offerings we went through right in the beginning of Leviticus. The peace offering is significant. He's talking about that here. He says, it's my heave offering. All the holy gifts of the children of Israel, I have given them as a portion to you and your sons as an ordinance forever. This shall be yours of the most holy things reserved for the fire, from the fire, excuse me. Every offering of theirs, every grain offering and every sin offering and every trespass offering, which they rendered me shall be most holy for you and your sons. That's why Peter was corrected. Don't dare call something common which I have cleaned. What I've given to you, don't ever call it common. When God provides for you, the provisions he gives you, it's not common. It's intentional. And what you have in God, the ways, the food, the home, and everything he's given you, it's a blessing from the Lord. It didn't just accidentally happen. And, and it's not because, and I mean this with all due respect, because you're so smart and just so talented and so lovely that you have all of this. I know nobody ever accused me of any of that, but, but the reality is I never had that problem. People always knew it. They looked at me, they're like, yeah, it had to be God, man, because, you're right? I mean, all right, praise God, you know, we're to reflect him that way. But, but that's a reminder, a, a beautiful, humble reminder that everything and all our provisions come from God. And I thank Jesus for that, don't you? We are very blessed as a people. We really are. We really, really are. Um, as we sit here tonight in a, in a conditioned room that's uh, heated and cooled with comfortable chairs and, you know, most of us have eaten dinner or have an opportunity to have food next door in the cafe. Uh, you know, I mean, what more could we want? We serve the living God. I, I can't think of anything else that we want more right now. As, as New Covenant believers, there should be a beautiful contentment in our hearts, a real contentment. In the most holy place you shall eat it. Every male shall eat it. It shall be holy to you. This, is your, this also is yours, the heave offering, the gift, the wave offering of the children of Israel. I have given them to you and your sons and your daughters with you as an ordinance forever. He repeats that. Everyone who is clean in your house may eat it. All the best of the oil, all the best of the Holy Spirit. All the best of the new wine, all the best of the joy. Remember, that's what that means. And the grain, their first fruits. Now think about that for a minute. The best of their first fruits. That takes a lot of faith. You're planning and you don't know what the rest of the crop is going to bring through the year, but you take the very best of what you have and you bring it unto the Lord that way. And you would, you would go to the priest and they would give it unto God and a portion they would take and a portion obviously. I mean, that's not easy, is it? I mean, I think of us in here, you know, the, the, many of us live paycheck to paycheck, right? Or, or, or something like that. And we have paychecks. And, and what if we turned around and we said, okay, Lord, and I, and I pray many of us actually do this, but we say, okay, Lord, I don't know what next week looks like, 
but I trust you, Lord, and this is what you're showing me to be as a hilarious giver as an example. Or as someone that's in need, a brother and sister that I, I know is in need, they need help with a mortgage. You know, they need, they need some, uh, clothing. They, they need some, maybe open your house and they, they could come in and stay with you. You know, do you, do you trust God that way? Are you willing to lean on God that way? To say, okay, Lord, your will be done. Whatever you show me, God, I'll, I'll do it. Even if you're like, well, I don't know, how's this going to work out? I mean, I barely have enough just to care for me. How, how, how can I feed someone else? How, how can I clothe someone else? You serve a big God. You serve a big God. Don't put your God in a box. Don't turn around and look at your God as insignificant, as though his hand is slack. If he calls you to do something, trust him and walk in faith. This is their first fruits, which they offer to the Lord. I have given them to you. And this is also important for the priests. By the way, priests are to be cheerful givers. Pastors are to be cheerful givers. It's not something that just the flock gives. He gives these, these heave offerings unto them that they are able to do what? Turn around and give back or give to others in need. You know, I, I talk to some pastors and, and we, you know, I don't obviously, what are you tell I mean, it's none of my business what their offerings look like. But the reality is, are, are, are they servants of the living God? I know I'm, I'm personally convicted about that, that, that I never have that place or that position where I'm not giving, where I'm not looking for ways to, to serve or to help or to give, because that's my privilege too. I'm, I'm a son of God. Before I was ever a pastor, I'm a son of God first. I'm a child of God before I'm anything else. And nothing's going to take that away. Nothing will ever steal that from me. And that's important because a lot of times guys, as they're young, they're getting in ministry. They, one of the first things, remember, you're a son of God first. They can get overwhelmed in the ministry. They can, they, their wives can get overwhelmed in the ministry. It becomes their whole lives. I remember going through it. And it becomes, your whole, it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming. You got two guys in here that are planting. They'll tell you, it's overwhelming. Don't forget, you're a son and daughter of the living God first. Pastors, you're the son of the living God. Don't forget that. Let's pray for that, Siren and those folks over there. I don't know what's going on. Father, we come before you right now, Jesus. Lord, obviously somebody's in need here right now with these sirens going by, Lord. Uh, I don't know if it's an EMT. It looks like it is an EMT or a fire truck going by. God, we just pray you'd go before them right now. Protect the people that are there, Lord. Protect, Lord, the children, the wives, the family members, Lord. Jesus, please, God, give wisdom to these uh, first responders. And God, we pray that everyone would be well, Jesus. We pray that they would have an opportunity to learn about you, that you'd be presented to them tonight. We pray and ask this in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. So this is what we read here. All the best of the Holy Spirit, all the joy of that wine. Whatever first ripe fruit is in their land, which, this, which they bring to the Lord shall be yours. Everyone who is clean in your house may eat it. Every devoted thing in Israel shall be yours. Everything the first... The the first opens of the womb of all the flesh, which they shall bring to the Lord, whether it man or beast, shall be yours. Nevertheless, the firstborn of the man you shall surely redeem. Right? They're not to take the men like that and, and to, um, remember God had redeemed all the firstborn anyway, but they weren't to take the firstborn men and, and necessarily give them to the priesthood that way. They were to redeem them with a price that they would go out and serve. And the firstborn of the unclean animals you shall redeem. 
again, given to the priest. And those redeemed of the devoted things, you shall redeem one, one month old according to their valuation for five shekels of silver, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, which is 20 geras. But the firstborn of a cow, the firstborn of a sheep, the firstborn of a goat, you shall not redeem. They are holy. You shall sprinkle the blood on the altar, burn their fat as an offering made by fire for a sweet aroma to the Lord, and their flesh shall be yours, just as a wave breast and the right thigh are yours." All the heave offerings of the holy things which the children of Israel offer to the Lord, I have given to you and your sons and your daughters with you as an ordinance ever. It is a covenant of salt. Underline that. What is this? This idea of covenant of salt. What does salt in scripture represent? Purity, right? What else does salt represent? Something that preserves. It's a preservative, right? What's he saying here? To paraphrase it another way, an unending, enduring covenant. That's what he's saying. A covenant of salt was an, an enduring or an unending covenant. That's what it's saying here. Forever before the Lord with you and your descendants with you. Then the Lord said to Aaron, you shall have no inheritance in their land. Aaron's like, I'm good up into this point. What? Right? What do you mean? This is a very important point. Guys, if you're in ministry or you know, you're thinking about ministry, you're praying about ministry, you're praying about a calling. I want you to listen. This is very important. What's God saying here? You shall have no inheritance in the land, nor shall you have any portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance among the children of Israel. What is God saying? God is saying he's our inheritance. For those serving in full-time ministry, there is no private inheritance. There is no building up wealth to yourself. You've given that up. You've given that up when you've gone in ministry. That you're not looking to build an inheritance. No, God is your inheritance. And that's more than enough. And that's what we tell young pastors, young guys. Look, you find out very quickly if, mo if money becomes a stumbling block. You know, generally they don't last too long in the ministry. It's, it, generally they wash out in a year or two. Because there's, you know, it's not meant to be a monetary, you know, sir, God, God's going to meet, meet the need of the, of the man. He's going to meet the need of the family. Absolutely. Absolutely. But what we're talking about here is unlike the rest of the tribes, they all had inheritances of land. They all had something like that. The tribe of Levi didn't get that, did they? No. God was their inheritance. That's not my opinion. Some of you are looking, well, wait a minute. That's not fair. Well, that's what the Bible says. There's a reason for it because he doesn't want us turning around and getting caught up with building private inheritances and private well and all these other things and we take our eyes off of what we're called to do. Now, this isn't for everybody again, right? This is under shepherds that have a calling that, as you just read it, I'll read it again. I am your portion and your inheritance among the children of Israel. He says, I am. And right above that, he says, you shall have no inheritance in the land. There is no private inheritance that way. Behold, I have given the children of Levi 
all the tithes in Israel as an inheritance in return for the work which they perform. So now he's talking about monetary uh, compensation, if I can say it that way. He's What he's saying now is, look, all of the tithes. Now remember, the tithes isn't just the 10%. People think tithe, they hear 10%. Remember, the temple tax, all this stuff. It, you know, we don't know the exact estimation. Some have said 30, 35%, 37%. We don't really know exactly when you add it all up. But he says, I give this to the children because of what? For the return of the work which they perform. You know, it, it's significant that God has a plan and what giving looks like. And it doesn't contradict the New Testament. It doesn't contradict the New Testament. We're going to stop there. I'm actually going to stop right at verse 21 because I don't want to rush the rest of this here. Because we need, you know, when, when the Lord talks about giving, when he specifically talks about um, inheritances or tithes, I don't want to rush this. I want us to go through. And what I want us to do is see that it's not all that different between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Because what a lot of people will do is they'll say, well, Pastor, I, I feel like the Lord is telling me to give X. That's between you and Jesus. No, no man has any opinion in that. No man ought to have an opinion in that, to be quite honest with you. That's between you and God. But God also says that he doesn't want us to give when it comes a matter of, um, you know, from a heart where we, oh, that I just give my last $100, I have nothing left, you know, it's contrary. We're going to go through scriptures. I'd like to give you a couple to read ahead for next week because we're going to come back and we're going to pour over these scriptures. The first one is 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 7 through 14. I'd like us to look at Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. And I'd like us to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. I think it's important that we have a foundation. You know, we have an understanding of what this looks like. Because quite honestly, there's too many shepherds or under-shepherds today standing behind pulpits telling you that if you don't give money, that God's work can't be done. They're charlatans. They're charlatans. They're deceiving you. God doesn't need anybody's... How do I, I don't know how else to put it. God guides, God provides. It's always the way it's been done here. Since you've been at Calvary Chapel here, you've never heard us come back and say to you, we need money to build a new church. God did the work. We get out of the way, right? Sure, does God tell us that we're to be faithful givers, we're to be hilarious givers? Yes. But he never tells us it needs to be lathered up. It doesn't need to be like a bar of soap where some man stands up there and lathers it up and works up the people emotionally so that there's a good giving. You know, you don't hear anybody, this happens. You, you're, you, a lot of you have been in Calvary Chapel a while, so you don't know what it's like out there anymore. There's places you'll go in, they'll say, oh, we're not going to just do one uh, offering. We're going to do two offerings because the people are really motivated. I was actually at a, um, not too long ago, I was actually visiting and I was, I was at a, I won't name the church in our area. I was somewhere and they turned around and I witnessed them do that. The people were, there was a praise music emotion was really up high. And what did they do? You know what? I heard that. Let's do another offering. Send the plate around again. And I just thought to myself, Lord, this is why people have this idea of Christians. This is why when they look at the TV evangelist on the TV and they always say, if you don't send your money, we can't help these people in Africa. My God's hand isn't slack. 
He's got cattle on a thousand hills. My God's hand isn't slack. So I really want us to go through this and look what the biblical understanding of giving is. Again, we don't generally talk about it, but when we come to it in a passage, we're going to talk about it in the scripture so that we understand what it is. And that way, when we see these things, quite honestly, if we're led by the Lord to say something, is that from God or is that from man? You know, you won't be told you need to buy a stone or a rock here. Okay. To put your name on. All right. Come next week. It's, it's, a, it's a good study. Come next week. Let's stand. Jenny, I'd like you to come up and close with a song. Everybody stand. We'll pray. And go ahead and read through the rest of, again, chapter 18, and then we'll, we'll probably go into chapter 19, and I'm not sure we'll get into 20. But Father, we come before you. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you that, God, we don't have to rush any of this, Lord Jesus. We can take our time and just get all the meat off the bone here, Lord. And Lord, for many of us, Lord, I imagine many people here tonight, this is the first time they're reading this. So, Lord, I pray that you would settle this in their heart. I pray, God... Lord, you'd seal it in their heart, that you would bring application to them through your Holy Spirit, that you would show, God, the riches of your word, these pearls, these nuggets, that you would settle in our heart. And God, I pray for even next week, Lord, as we'll go into the scriptures and look at what what scriptural giving looks like, God, as we see it for the priests here and the tithes and everything that was involved, God, Lord, will you show us? We want to be faithful and obedient. God, and, and if we can, Lord, use this as an opportunity. Lord, if we, if we see others, God, and it would be gentle, Lord, that we could say, no, that's, that doesn't line up with Scripture. Or, or praise God, it does, and we can celebrate that, and we can get behind that ministry because it aligns with, with your word, God. God, give us supernatural vision into that, Lord. I know a lot of us here, they, we support a lot of, we have two different missionaries here we support and others, God. We want to do everything with decency and order, God. And I imagine in our home lives and our, our own individual dealings, help us to do all things well, Lord. Let us never forget, God, that you've given us proofs. It's always a matter of the heart. So, Lord, continue to transform our hearts. We know that there's still work to be done in this city. We pray this in your name, Jesus Christ. Now, Lord, may we worship you. Amen.